Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I am your host, Erin Pym, and I'm an erotic writer as well as the producer of the monthly stage show, Bedpost. Here at the Bedpost Podcast, I invite guests and performers from the stage show and beyond to indulge me in an in-depth conversation about sex and sexuality. So this week, we have a very special guest, co-creator of Deliciously Disabled, Andrew Gerza. Hi, thank you for having me, Erin. Oh my gosh, I have been looking forward to this all week. <laughs> right? We've been talking for so long about doing it, I'm so happy to finally be here. Me too! Um, so excited. <laughs> um, how I first heard about you was through, um, she does the sexist column for Torontoist, her name's Caitlin Kohaney, yep. and she spoke about uh, you doing your event Playground, yes. which, which we'll get to. But that's how I first heard of you. So I'm so... This is like maybe a year later that I'm finally getting to talk to you. So it's been a long time coming. So why don't you tell me, Andrew, and tell all our listeners what Deliciously Disabled is all about? Yeah, Deliciously Disabled Consulting is a brand that I came up with about a year ago. Yeah. I was featured in the now Toronto, the first Love Your Body uh, spread that they did. Yeah. I approached now and said, this is great. Do you have anybody with disabilities being represented? And they went, no. And I was like, cool, how about I come down and I'll get naked and we'll do a shoot? <laughs> Can I be included? And so they knew me back and said, that's really cool. We'd love to do that. And they, they said, so well, when we're, when we're putting in the piece, how do you want us to describe you? And just as a joke, <laughs> I said, call me deliciously disabled. <laughs> and I really didn't think they'd print it. I just said it off the cuff, like, didn't even think anything of it. And next thing I knew it was in print. There's me in my chair naked with deliciously disabled overhead. And I was like... That's it. Really cool. That's and all it. of a sudden I was like, I can run with this. Because I've been doing... I had been doing uh, disability awareness consulting work on my own for about, I want to say, a year and a half at that point. Yeah. Not really having a title kind of creating my own job, starting the whole freelancer for life yes. vibe thing. Not really knowing what the fuck I was doing, but I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do this because I had two degrees. I'd studied law and disability in school. Right. That didn't get me anywhere. <laughs> like I wasn't working in the field that I was promised that I would have a job at the end. I was like, fuck it. Well, why don't I just do my disability? And then deliciously, they will fell in my lap. And I was like, why don't I brand everything that I've done under this umbrella yes run with it so I just that's what I did that's so funny that it was kind of an off the cuff thing because I was listening to your podcast and the very latest episode you kind of coined an awesome phrase for your guest uh severely sexy I love that yeah that guest you listening to me she's so fantastic and she <laughs> I love working with her she's great she's somebody who Nonverbal and is a, is a wheelchair user. Yeah, and I, we were talking about her severe disability, and she goes, and I said, oh, I think you're severely sexy again. <laughs> totally as a joke, and she laughed and was like, Oh my god, I have to use that. <laughs> so 
I am I'm a wordsmith. Like, I love my language. I love playing with all this stuff. And I love putting the idea of disability on its head. And so with Deliciously Disabled, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. But, so, so what kind of services do you provide for di- in um, Deliciously Disabled? I know uh, you do a lot of talks and, and uh, public speaking events. Yep. And some social fun. events as well, right? Uh, yeah, public speaking, social events, like photography, yep. um, sex parties, you know. Uh, Which playground was one of these sex parties, right? Playground was actually, Playground was not our party. Okay. Playground was a, an event put on by Sam Fraser in Toronto, and we were asked, Stella and I were asked to speak there. Mm-hmm. So Playground is a different event. Yeah. Um, you're probably thinking of the Deliciously Disabled Sex Party we had last year. That Pro- was our... That's you. That's all you. Yeah, that was us. We created that. Uh, and so we do, but I mean, really we do whatever it is to keep disability, regardless of sexuality. Sometimes we don't talk about sex, but it's to keep disability in pop culture. Yeah. Um, it's to, to give disability and the disabled lived experience what the real experience is, a space in pop culture. Right. And we want to make disability accessible to everyone. Yes. Um, and so we try to do that in a really fun, provocative, sexy, different way than what we're used to seeing. Yes. So I know one of your kind of mandates, at least for the podcast that I listen to, have been listening to so intently, um, is to get both sex and disability in public consciousness, like linked in public in, consciousness. Like together, yeah. yeah. And I want you to tell me, what does that mean exactly? And why is it important? That just It just means that we have to start seeing the good the, you know people in chairs being sexualized we need to start seeing the good looking queer man in the chair alongside yeah. the other good looking queer man at the bar it just means putting it in pop culture and really talking about the truth because whenever we talk about sex and disability mm-hmm. if we do we typically talk about risk we mm-hmm. talk about you know the dangers to the disabled body if they were to engage in sex if we talk about it or we talk about how hard sex and disability is for yes. the individual and how they can't do certain things and how sad that is. And yeah, there are things I definitely can't do, but yeah. there are really great things that I can do. And I think we need to start talking also about the emotionality within the lived experience of trying to access your sex. Yes. So, one, one of my favorite episodes of your podcast was when you talked about what does sex and disability feel like for you? Yeah. That episode is just so engaging. Oh, thank you. I, that's that's kind of the main. For me, when I think of deliciously disabled, that's the main question that I ask. Yeah. Everybody, everybody wants to know how sex and disability works. Like that's, the mechanics, everyone wants yeah, to know. They want to know, like, how do you fuck? How do you? Can you do this? Can you give a blowjob? Can you give a handjob? Like, yeah. how? how? Yeah. And that, you know, those are valid questions. But the sexier question that underlies that yes. is, hey, Andrew, how does how does it feel for you? And so. I based that podcast on an article that I wrote by the same name saying how you know the one question that I wish you would ask me is how does sex feel and I wrote it out and I discuss how I think sex and disability should feel why it's important and I just think we need to have those conversations but I think people on both sides able-bodied people and disabled people are afraid to broach that subject because we all know sex is taboo yeah. And then you throw in disability on top of that. And it's, it's like, doubly oh, taboo. Oh, so, yeah, it's like extra taboo. <laughs> and qu- and queerness on top of that. Yeah, and, and for me, when you throw in queerness, it's like, how the fuck do you do all that? Yeah, how do you talk about all that? Yeah. yeah, and so I 
I've always kind of been a provocateur. I've always been kind of somebody who liked to turn things on its head and be like, fuck you, I'm doing this. <laughs> no, I'm doing this. But, I mean, Delicious Table was born, and the, the, the awareness piece and the stuff that I started doing before I had the brand was born out of, I was depressed. I had nothing to do. I lived on my own. I was done school. I was feeling kind of low. I was feeling not sexually empowered. I was feeling really, I needed something to do. And I just started contacting queer magazines in Toronto saying, have you had anybody talk about their experiences as a, as a queer man with disabilities? They all said no. Most of them said no. And I jumped at it. And I just okay, let's start building a profile. And quickly, that just sort of, it sort of came my way. I was the fab cover guy one month. And it people saw it. And it went all over. And people all over the world saw it. Yeah. And then I realized that I had, there's a niche here, <coughs> here that I have as a disabled person and, and as a wheelchair user and as somebody who's queer and who's very sexual, yeah. I had something that I could could draw from. And I was like, let's just run with that and see what happens. And now it's turned into this. Oh my gosh. Make your own work and it'll just explode. Yeah, it really does. And I'm so proud of it. And your other half is yeah. Stella. Stella Palakarova, yep. And she does kind of the female perspective of the of sex and disability. Yeah, she. I mean, she looks at like the, the more the human rights side of it and how it's important for her as a woman to be sexualized properly and all, all the same stuff that I do, but from a very different lens. And yes. so we kind of came together. We didn't know each other until basically we started playing the party. Really? And yeah, we had we never really talked, and she messaged me last year in February and said, "Hey, we want to throw a sex party for people with disabilities. Would you want to be involved?" And I was like, "That's awesome! Yes, please." <laughs> So I jumped at the chance to work with her, and halfway through working, they said, you know, we then came for this party, and I said, well, I already have a brand, listen, why don't we just connect the two things, yeah. and then there, there you go, there's your marketing, we're done. And so we connected it for the party, and after that was done, she said, Andrew, I really love working with you, and I want to continue this, can we partner? And I was like, at first I was like, oh no, this is mine, don't take it, I'm scared. But then I, <laughs> but then I was like... You know what? She can bring something to the to the brand that I can't. Yes, female perspective. Yeah, she can bring a voice that I can't. And if my whole brand is to make disability accessible, it's not fair of me to say no. You can't. It's mine. Yes, to exclude. Yes. Yeah, I just said, all right, let's work together. We've been working now together pretty much for almost a year, kind of building it and growing it. And we don't really know what we're doing. We're learning as we go. And yes. I love that aspect because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> I've never run a business. I don't know, but. <laughs> It's so important for me to, for both of us, I think, to be two young people with disabilities who are at the helm, who are the co-creators of something so big, and, and that's why I think it's really cool. We never see people with disabilities in power when they have jobs. Yes. They're typically given menial, like, do you want to flip burgers? Do you want to work on the phones? That's yeah. the kind of jobs we are sent out for. So when, when we were both like, fuck it, let's create our own company and just do this, it was really, it's really been empowering. It's terrifying as fuck every day. I'm like, what, what, still? Is still is it? It's just scary because, like, I'm not somebody who is, I'm very comfortable being in the public eye and telling my piece, and I, I have no problem being out there. It's <laughs> all the contractual stuff and the legal stuff and, like, learning how to do it and protecting yourself. And so that's the part that's weird because I'm a very trusting individual, so I will tell the world whatever they want to hear, and I'm <laughs> happy to share that. And then when you learn about, like, you're running a company maybe don't say that <laughs> it's that part of it the whole putting myself out there being a provocateur doesn't bother me one bit I actually love that part yes 
as as do I about you and as do I about myself as well. I love just getting right out there and being truthful and just giving people the real tea, giving people the yeah. tea, as they, as they say on RuPaul's Drag Race. Give me the tea, Andrew. So what, I don't know how this may be a very long answer to this question. Um, My main thing when I think about abled people and disabled people is the barriers between us. What, in your opinion, can we do to break down the barriers between able-bodied people and disabled people? Well, what can we begin to do? <laughs> we, need to, we need to begin by having honest conversations. Take off the kid gloves. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask me the tough questions. Yeah. Don't be scared to say, you know, everybody wants to know. Everybody's curious about disability. We all have questions. Yeah. But it's, it's how we, the disabled population is presented with those questions. I don't want to, don't come up to me and say, Andrew, <laughs> what happened to you? I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yes. Come up to me and say, Andrew, I see you're in a wheelchair. I don't know anything about this, and I want to learn more. Can you share with me your experience, or would you please? That's hot. Yeah. If, if a guy said this to me in a bar, I'm like, my pants are down, my ribs are here, let's go. I'm yours, I'm yours. Like, like, but if they come up to me and go, uh, like, what happened to you? Nothing, I was born. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> Worst so, pickup line ever. <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's one part of the thing we can do, is like, ask, ask. Ask me if you're, it's okay to ask. Like, ask me, hey, can I learn more about your disability? I'd like to learn more. Mm-hmm. Can I? That's like, learn, know your audience, and know that just asking me a random question <laughs> when I'm on the street trying to live my day, or <laughs> if I want to suck your dick, it's not how that's going to happen. <laughs> to ask me the right way, and I might open up to you way more. Um, but secondly, I think disabled people, um, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but I think disabled people need to take it take a step back and realize that if I get angry at every single person that asks me a dumb question, yeah. I am going to be become angry and it's going gonna, it's gonna to alienate everybody else from wanting to talk to me. So when people ask me those annoying questions like, hey, what happened? Or like, you get your dick up? Or like, have you yeah. been a boner? Those kind of questions. Yeah. I take a breath and I go, what you're really saying is you want to understand, right? Right. And I think the disabled population, as angry as we are, we have a right to be angry, I get that. But I also think we can take a breath and realize that the anger is not going to hurt the person who asked the question. They don't care. The anger is going to linger with us. So take a breath and realize that you have an opportunity right in that moment to change their worldview and change their mind right there. Yes. And if, if you slough away and say, fuck you, I don't have to answer that, bye, that's your right, go ahead, do yeah. that if you have to. But what you've done... Right at that moment, as you turn that person off, ever speaking to another person with a disability again. Yeah, and you've confirmed their fears or... You're pissed off and angry. And, and again, you let me let me be clear. I created Delicious Disabled because I was pissed off and angry. Because <laughs> I didn't have representation. But I'm trying to do so in a way that says, instead of me shutting you out, let me bring you in. Yes. To show you what I already know. So we have to... Both populations need to realize that they're part of the problem. You can be angry, but you have to access that anger in a different way. And you can be curious, but you have to present that curiosity in a way that is more In a respectful way, yes. Yeah, just show show respect to both sides, and I think we get along a lot faster. Yes. (laughs) So you're talking about how you want disabled people to be represented. How do you want them to be represented, ideally, in public consciousness? In, In every way. I want to see them in especially media representations. Media representation of disability is so 
lacking and it's still the same like oh the guy from Lee can't walk let's make five episodes about how he's stuck in his chair or like you know <laughs> it's still it's still so like pigeonholed it's just so old thinking like why can't we have characters that are celebrated in their disabilities or like you know I also want to see representation in porn where's that like what, yeah. what when was the last thing you saw an attractive porn star who just happened to be disabled never yeah um there was a guy with I feel like there was a guy with CP that is from possibly from U of T that yeah Uh, his name is James Dean I think yeah something like that yeah he's a friend of mine really yeah he's been he's the nicest guy the sweetest guy you'd ever meet in your whole life really yeah he's he's doing it which I think is really cool um and so we talk every now and then. He does uh, predominantly straight porn. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm looking for representation in these communities that claim to be open and claim to be all accepting, like the queer community. Yep. But if you look inside the pockets of the queer community, you don't see men with disabilities being represented anywhere because they have a specific aesthetic to follow. And I think, I, so then I come in and I break that aesthetic up and go, hi. <laughs> I'm the guy in the chair with a huge deck. Where's my... Where's my my piece? Yeah. Yeah. Where's my piece of the pie? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I think... I mean, I think we just need more representation all over. We need... But we need honest representation. And so when I was on One Girl, Five Gays, and when I... When I... Whenever I've been in the media... Yeah. I have positioned myself so that it is true. It's my truth. Always. And as long as we have honest portrayals, I think it would be a lot different. Yes. Um, talking about dating, what is dating like for you? I don't date lots. I'm an old man now. I don't, oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love, okay, I love the idea of dating, but dating is hard because of... It is hard. It's hard for anybody, It's right? hard for anybody, for anybody. Yeah. It's fucking hard. Yeah. But then when you pile on, like, access and, like, ableism and all the things, and people are afraid to approach disability because they've never dealt with it before and so all that stuff I just I I, just, I I'm really active online dating because it's easy to like send a message and be like hey want to meet up at the place over a coffee because I live because right now I'm moving to the city soon in like a month Can't nice wait. nice uh, but maybe you'll start really, dating again <laughs> yeah I think that will really happen because right now I don't have access to my community when I move downtown I can't and say, hey, I'm 20 minutes from the village. Yeah. I'm 20 minutes from this place. Do you want to go meet for coffee? Right now, it's like, I live in Richmond Hill. I live at Uber Far, yeah. which is like, you know, an hour and a half out of the city. Yeah. And so, like, dating, I, I used to love the idea of dating. Now, I'm just like, I want a boy to ask me out. I don't want to be the one to constantly have to do all the work. Right. Like, I love the idea of going on a date. The reality of, like, getting ready for the date, transportation, yeah. booking a special bus, and making sure the room's accessible and all that stuff. Mm. It's exhausting as fuck. I so can imagine. I, I like the idea, but I'd like it to be a lot easier than it is right now. Yeah. And it can be. It will be when you move back uh, back into Toronto. Back to the T-Dot. Yes. <laughs> um, so what was dating, when you were dating then, what was dating like for you when you were, when you were a younger, uh, a younger Mr. Younger. Gerza, a young buck? When I was young, triple back in the day. Um, <laughs> date dating is so weird because I, the way I was raised in, in our community was not to date, was that you fuck 
first and then you did you date later. Date after, Although yeah. Because of, yeah, because I was disabled, typically I just got to the fucking part because no way. So they realized that, you know, he might need care, he's a lot of work, it's they got scared and so they would never come back at the end of I um I'm a self professed fuckling and let me let me describe that to you. A fuckling is like you know how when you see a baby duckling and they're cute and they imprint on you and then they follow you around for a week being adorable. <laughs> that's you. So that's me, except that's what I do after we fuck. So I've turned myself a fuckling. Um, and so I get really attached to the guys that I sleep with because it's a lot of work for me to invite them over, explain what I need, explain you know how it's going to work, go make sure they're comfortable. So if I let you into this world, it's a, it's a big deal for me. So I yes, get, yes. I get attached. <laughs> even if I even if I don't want to, I get attached. Yeah. And so, um, I would get attached to them, and I would be like, "Let's hang out again. I'd like to see you." Probably a bit smothery. I'm not gonna lie. I was probably a little bit too intense. Because I never. <laughs> I, mean, I was a bit smothery. I'm not gonna lie. Because I had never done it before. I, I have, and I've still never been in a long term relationship. I've never had a guy say, "Hey, you want to go on a date? I'd like to see you again." Yeah. Like that doesn't happen for me. So. Dating for me is like watching a Disney movie and being like, oh, that's not ever going to happen. Like, I don't, what is that? I don't uh-huh. know what it is. So I'm, I'm, but I'm learning by not having dated thoughts <laughs> that I, that I, that I don't ever want to have one person. Like, I, I, I consider myself monogamish. Yeah, I that's want, what, that's I what I was going to say from listening to your podcast. It doesn't sound like your, your ultimate goal is this monogamous relationship. No. Because I think the idea of the one is foisted onto disabled people like, you have to find somebody to love you past your disability. And my whole thing with that is, ew, no, gross. Mm-hmm. I want to find a myriad of people to love me because of my disability. Like that's Yes. And I, because I never got to date in high school or college or do the whole, like, boyfriend, be fall, fall in love for the first time deal. Right. I feel very, I feel stunted. My, my sexuality feels very new to me still. Like, I'm just finally... I mean, I've been out of the closet for 16 years. Yes. But I'm just coming into my... Your own. Yeah, my own. I'm just coming into, like, this identity that I've created for myself. And so I don't want to put all that pressure on myself or or just one person to love me forever. No, I want to explore and try and see. And I'm, I'm very new that way. And so I feel like this idea of monogamy for me right now, anyway, isn't something that I'm super excited about. Yes. What is your coming out story? Which one? Coming out is deliciously disabled or queer? <laughs> Either or. I was going to go with queer. I didn't, I didn't know what queer meant at the time. I wasn't comfortable. Using it. I just thought I'm going to be gay because that's what I was calling it. So yeah. I came out as gay. I was so funny. It happened like 15 years ago. Like last week. It was so weird. <laughs> um, but I, it was April 22nd. I remember doing the night before my dad's birthday. Yes. And... I had been listening, I'd been watching a lot of Queer as Folk, <laughs> and a lot of, like, teen romance lovey gay bullshit, and I thought, okay, this is going to be me, and I, I had, ever since I was young, I've been the kid that was like, what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow will be a great day. Like, I always was looking to the next thing to look forward to, and so I loved the idea of, of the next day, and so when I was 16, I gave myself a timeline that I'm going to have my very first boyfriend when I turned 16. <laughs> so, in line with that, I was like, I'm going to meet 16 in two weeks. I have to come out. So then, <laughs> I read all this literature on, because for some reason, I believe that 
coming out would be the magical moment where all the gay dudes in the world would know that I came out and be like, oh, that's you thing. And call you? Yeah. That's, <laughs> or, more realistically, the high school foot jock, the high, the high school football jock, or the, in my school it was lacrosse, the high school lacrosse player that I had a huge crush on would somehow, un, would somehow, like, sense my pheromones of gayness. <laughs> like, let's be together. So... <laughs> So short, I decided that, that I would do it on my 16th birthday, mm-hmm. close close to it. And uh, I was reading all the literature that was like, don't come out in the car, don't come out at Christmas dinner, <laughs> don't come out during family events. Cause I was reading all the stuff of like, don't kick, you know, your family could kick you out, be, be ready to have a support team. And there was nothing about, there was nothing about what if you're disabled. Right. And quick. There was nothing for me, so I read all this stuff thinking, oh my god, my mom's going to kick me out, and I have to be ready. And so I, like, I didn't have a support team ready, because I was like, I'm disabled, what am I going to do? So I just, and I, I was listening to a lot of the Lannis words. <laughs> a lot of, like, a lot of, like, Atlantis from, from 1995, you know? Yeah, man. Little JGL period, the Jack of the Pill Man. I was all over it. <laughs> Me Pill too. And so I got really emotional and really emo, and I was also watching, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say, I was watching a lot of Felicity at the time, too. Remember, <laughs> remember all the times where she'd make tape and send it off? Yeah. Well, I thought it'd be really cool to talk to my friends in, <laughs> in a way, and it was so stupid because nobody listened. Whatever. So. <laughs> But then, like, I, but as, I, as I became more and more morose about coming up, I, I got really sad and scared and like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like, I, mean, I had nothing to be scared about. My family was it's fine. But I was really terrified. And so the night of my dad's birthday, he was at work, a musician. He was working. In the house, I'm not talking to him. I'm all morose and being teenage angst bullshit. My mom goes, Andrew, what is wrong with you? Are you gay or something? And I, I, immediately, I immediately went, well, yeah. <laughs> and she turned and goes, I'll never forget. She turned around and goes, oh, okay. And it was the sweetest thing. She, she made me yogurt and honey, which was my favorite like comfort food. Yeah. And we sat down, and the first question was, after it's okay, here's a hot, like, relax, was, so do you, when we, when we watch movies, and there's a good lucky man, and they're having a sex scene. Do you watch the man or the woman? And I was like, man, the woman doesn't need to be there. The man's great. It's fine. <laughs> and she goes, oh, okay. And so then, you know, we told the family, and then after that, it was, it was fine. And I, I, coming out was easy, but then, then coming into my identity as a disabled person was really has still been an ongoing Journey. process. That even 15 years later, I haven't really been. I don't. I feel like I'm constantly doing it. Yeah, so I, I came out as queer, and now I'm coming in as deliciously disabled, and that's a it's a whole different process, and it's one that I that I thought would be a lot easier than it was when I started accessing my sexuality four years later after coming out and going to college and doing all that stuff. And so I, I was my, in my first year of college, and I went to a bar, and I realized very quickly that just because you say you're gay doesn't mean you're accepted by the community. I realized very quickly that my disability had no place. And so for years, I would use sex and I would use, like, come over and I'll mess around with you and maybe you'll like me after that. Yeah. But I still didn't feel connected. And finally, through Deliciously Disabled and through kind of labeling myself, 
just a couple years ago, I now feel finally that I'm in a place where it's okay. So this is so interesting, Andrew. We're going to have a very quick break, and then we're going to be right back on the Bedpost podcast with Andrew Gerza. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to plug a very sexy podcast that is not the one you're currently listening to. It is called the Kiss Me Quicks podcast by the sexy librarian herself, Rose Carraway. She featured me on the latest episode, and we're talking about an anthology that Ms. Rose Carraway featured me in called Tonight She's Yours, Cuckolding Fantasies. And my short story, My Darling Cuck Hubby, is featured in this book. So please check out thekissmequicks.com to see my interview and check out Tonight She's Yours on Amazon, including an audio version in which you hear Ms. Rose Carraway's sexy voice. And we'll take you back now to the second half of the Bedpost Podcast. And we're back! With Andrew Gerza <laughs> for round two. Round two. Yes. I got stamina. Yes. <laughs> got at least another half hour in you. I do, I do. So you're saying, Andrew, uh, you said earlier that you are a very sexual person. Very much so. Yes. How does that manifest? What does that look like? Um, I'm just flirty. I like to, if I like somebody, I'm not, I'm not shy to be like, Hey, you're hot. Want to go hang out somewhere? Like, yeah. I'm real. I'm, no, I'm much more comfortable online, I think. Mm-hmm. In person, in the queer spaces, I'm a little bit more reserved because I don't feel like I'm really welcome there because they're just not used to seeing disabled people. So I feel a little weird when I go into like real world spaces. Yeah. But on the computer, if I like somebody, I'm like, hey, you're hot. Let's go get a coffee. Let's go do that. And I'm bare- I like to, I just like sex because it's something that's been not denied to me, but it's been something that it's been hard for me to access. So whenever I get the chance to play with that, I I jump at it. Yes. <laughs> and I applaud you for it. So one thing that I talked to about with a disabled friend of mine, and I'm totally stealing his idea, he wants to at some point do a disabled storytelling night, and he kind of wants me to co-produce it with him. Um, and yeah. one of the main yeah. topics he wants to talk about is uh, disability and masturbation. Because I don't know if it's his personal experience or not, but just the idea that um, some disabled people can't touch themselves in a pleasurable way. Yes. They can't masturbate. Yes. Um, and he just wants to hear all different, all different personal experiences with masturbation. I think that's fucking awesome. I think he should do it in May because May is... Masturbation month. May is the month of masturbation. So you should do it in May. <laughs> Great. So cool. And I would agree with him. There's people with disabilities can't. Sometimes you can't. I'm lucky enough that I can. Yeah. Although it's getting harder with my level of plasticity in my body to do it the way that I used to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we need to have discussions about how to do it. And I think what would be really cool in that event is if we, yeah. Like how do you do it? Like, like could you could you provide tips to X person so that they could figure out a way to Yeah, share tips and techniques. 
Yeah, because we, because of disability, it, could, it puts you in a really unique vantage point to try something different. Like male masturbation that we typically see is, for me, anyway, male masturbation, yeah. is so boring. It's okay, you grab your cock and you're going up, down, and then you come and we're done. Yeah. Like, but for some of us, you can't, I can't physically grab that, my dick. Right. And, and do that and pump. So I, when I was younger, I had to learn how to use my thumb and kind of, I did it with the head of my thumb. It took longer, and it, but it was a different sensation. Yeah. And that's something that people need to hear. And I like, I want to hear from others with disabilities. Like, how do you do it? Maybe, maybe I could try that. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think it's a great idea. And I love your, um, the Ava Sweeney episode. She talked about masturbation a little bit in which she would get the, she would ask the aide, her aide to just kind of put the vibe in her lap and then leave the room, which is genius. (laughs) I was working with a a sex line company in the UK a few months back and they had given me a sex toy to try and it was one of those ones where you had to clamp on your balls. And I was like, I can't do that. So I had to ask my attendant. My <laughs> attendants are nice. They're great people. But they are religious to the millionth degree. Right. And I am not. They're from a culture that is super devout. And I just don't give a fuck. Right. So uh, having to ask my attendant to my balls and not, it's a uh, device that I'm trying for stretching or something. I don't know if it's right. It was for stretching. Um, <laughs> and so they did it for me. But to know that someone's sitting there outside the room giving you a time limit to come is so stressful. Yeah, that's not sexy. Anytime you have no, somewhere no, no, to go and you're looking no, at the clock. No. Yeah, it definitely was not sexy at all. Um, and another really fun thing uh, in the Ava Sweeney episode was, you know, talking about awkward sexual moments, like to have humor, you know, alongside sex and disability as well. Love to hear. Love to hear yeah. about her. Uh, her yeah. dog yeah, so like cool. taking her sex toy or whatever. <laughs> they found it in this in the dog so bed. So fun to like to have her tell those stories because that's stories we don't we don't never get to hear. So and that's that's something that would only happen if you were disabled. Yes, but uh, on the same hand, um, just sex in general is so can be so silly and so awkward, like among able-bodied people, so. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. But I think that disability provides a lot more um, comical moments. (laughs) And I think instead of being ashamed of them, we have to start telling those stories and telling why they're funny and sharing that because, God, sex is, like you said, sex is weird for everybody. Yes. Why why can't disabled people have weird, funny moments too? As well. Yeah, I had probably my most embarrassing moment. Uh, I have not talked about that's on the podcast. And I doubt you have too much experience with this because it involves uh, menstruating, you being a queer guy, probably. But, um, you know, I thought I thought it was over, thought the period was over, and it most definitely was not. I was on, I, and, and I was in a position where I was upright so it was free flowing over my partner's whole face. Like, and I didn't even know. I didn't not even know until oh, no. I did not even know. Like, I, I don't know where this phantom period came from. Like, I was finished my period for like two days, 
And then out of nowhere, just like, oh my God. And he gets up and his face is just covered. And I had no idea because I had like my eyes closed and I'm feeling it. And like, I'm feeling the fantasy. (laughs) And then I was like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me? And he was like, oh, it's, it's nothing I haven't done before. And I was like, oh my God, it's. Definitely, I have not done, not done that before. <laughs> so and of course, it was uh, at the beginning of a relationship. Like, I did not know this person very well yet. And like, for something like that to happen, oh my God, I was just mortified. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 could, I, could, I can imagine. I can share some mortifying stories. Yeah. Um, I have several. And one, that I'll, one that I'll share, I was 22, and I met these guys online, and they... I lived in the dorms at the time. So like when I was in, at university, I, I went to Carleton in Ottawa, and um, they picked me up from their place in a nondescript white van, which should be my first place that I should never have gone with them. Scary. But they did, okay? Yeah, it was terrifying. But I'm, I'm a stupid kid with hormones, and I want to get off. So um, I went to their place, okay, and they put me in the van. We did that. We had the sex. I think it was great. And when you have sex sometimes, your whole body decides to release everything. So, <laughs> my body decided to release some poo because <laughs> I don't know why. But I didn't feel it until... <laughs> I didn't feel it until afterwards. And, and so, the trouble with this is that I couldn't run away from it. Like, you know how when like, something embarrassing happens, you can run away? Sure. I'm stuck without, I, I need their help for everything. So like, they have to lift me back in the chair, dress me. Oh my me God. The van, drive me home. So it was so awkward. And there's a big thing. There's a giant <laughs> shit stain on their 800 red couch. Red <laughs> couch. Whatever it was. And I, I am so mortified because I'm like, great. It's their first time with the triple guy. They're probably going to feel weird about that and then I shit on their fucking bed. <laughs> you must say I never heard from them again. Never heard from them again. But I'm okay with it. <laughs> How do you recover? Oh my god. <laughs> move on. There's no recovery. You just move on. Just move. Just forget it. Block it out and just move on. Block it out. Move on. <laughs> oh my god. I love it. What? Um. On the flip side. <laughs> What are some of your favorite sexual experiences? Another great question I love that you asked of uh, Ava Sweeney. Um, I gotta say, the sex I had with somebody a few months ago was, unfortunately, we, we, we won't see each other again. It yeah. was awesome because I was, and I talk about this in one of my very first podcasts, I had sex with this guy, we met on the hookup site, and he, we talked the night before, and then we Skyped. And I always like to Skype the guy before we fuck because I want to know who I'm letting in my home and it's a safety thing and I want to make sure that I'm safe and comfortable. For so sure. the guy came and he like, helped me shower. We did all this stuff together. And then he ate me out for the first time and I'd never been rimmed before. Yes. I'd never done that. And he, I was like, I'm so scared. Like, what if my ass isn't clean? Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to repeat of what had happened before. <laughs> so I was really concerned. I was like, well, I can't clean myself. Like, I have, I have severe disabilities. And he literally went, shut up and like you were doing this and he did it and he, he didn't give me control and that was fucking awesome because typically because I'm the disabled one I'm the one who 
feels like they need to be in control all the time. And this guy didn't give me the didn't give me a choice. He was like, you know, in a consensual way. He was like, I'm not, you don't, don't stop talking. We're not, you're not gonna analyze this because you like it and it feels good. Yeah. And that was really freeing to me to have somebody say in a consensual context, like, I'm gonna not give you the choice. You don't get. To, Think about it. Don't overthink to do. Yes. And that was fun. I mean, unfortunately, he and I didn't work out, but the experience itself was so freeing. Um, I think any sexual experience where I can emotionally connect is fun for me. Some of the experiences where they said, oh, you're in a chair, it doesn't matter, we'll work it out, or you're in a chair and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll work it out with you. Yeah. That's that's fun. That's, that's fun, where, where we can incorporate the disability into the sex play. That, that for me is the best that's my favorite yes speaking about analingus i had a uh, i had some fun analingus for the first time in like a long time and i like forgot about it and then um i i usually when i get off like i'm doing it usually in a very similar way each time just because that's yeah. how my body works but i kind yeah. of forgot that i forgot about analingus <laughs> And then we had some fun analingus, and I got off, and I was, like, so ecstatic. I was like, I forgot about it. <laughs> so pleasurable yeah, and it. fantastic. It was such a weird, I'll admit it was a weird sensation, but I, as soon as I got into it, I was like, this is great. Yes. It was, so, it was so fun, because <laughs> for me, the anus is like, I can't clean myself. I need help with all of that. Right. So I was very concerned that this poor individual would, would be dealing with my feces again. And I was like, oh, well, how am I going to handle this? <laughs> but he was, the sexiest, like I said earlier, when the sexiest thing a guy can say is, hey, I don't know about your disability, I want to learn. The yeah. second sexiest thing a guy can say to me is, don't worry, we'll figure it out together. And when I was so concerned about my ass being clean for this guy, he was like, I'll do it. It's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to run away. I'm not afraid of this. Yeah. That was the biggest turn on because I knew that I could just relax yes and so by the time we got to the analingus part he was like I was still nervous but I was relaxed enough where I trusted this guy and yep. that's why I think it's hard for people with disabilities to have one night stands but I've had a lot of them yeah it's hard because you have you have to put I don't know an inordinate amount of trust in the individual you're fucking because for me it helps get undressed and you have to get out of bed I can help to get in bed I need all of, all of the positioning stuff that you may take for granted and not realize. Yes. I have to think about first. So um, to have them go after that and never see them again, you're like, oh, now I have to start all over again with the next person that I convinced that I'm sexually viable. Like, it's so exhausting. Yes. So, but, I mean, the best part of that sexual experience for that guy was when he said, don't worry, I'm going to, we'll figure it out. Whatever happens, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Like, that was really... That was really affirming to me that I had value with him. Yeah. And that, that, that was nice to know that whatever happened, it was okay. Yes. One other thing I really want to talk to you about. I have a family member. She's, and she's turning 13. And she has CP. And, um, I mean... You too. What up, CP? What up, what up, CP? (laughs) I don't know if her parents would uh, let her listen to my podcast ever, maybe, even when she's 23. But I would love to just... If you had any advice that you could give her as she goes through... As she goes through puberty, basically. Because at 13, I was like losing my shit like trying to figure out wanting sex like like just like 
you know, wanting to, I don't know what. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. But, you know, that's right at the age where, you know, with me, who's an, I'm an able-bodied person, going through just uh, <laughs> so much, really, <laughs> physically uh, and emotionally. Emotionally. Like, I would say that she, I, the advice I would give to <laughs> such a hard question because when I was 13 I was a little horny shitbag who didn't you know yes um I would say the advice you should give to her <laughs> is to just start um to start acknowledging that her disability and acknowledging the good parts of it acknowledge getting to her to talk about how she feels as a young disabled teen asking her how does it feel for her asking her what she's afraid of asking her like have you thought about how your disability and your identity will go together do they go together for you finding out where she is on that spectrum yeah and then once you know then you know how to navigate the rest of it because i think when i was a kid i had no role models but i always knew i was disabled like my disability has never been it's just been my normal so to find out where she is and then go from there and then when she's comfortable to (laughs) it's so so hard but but I want to say like when she's comfortable being you know 13 is not about sex it's about like the, the parties and the emotions and the like it's about it's about all the stuff around sex it's not about sex itself yeah getting her to be comfortable I think in her skin as a disabled person so I use like delicious disabled as my like powerful identifier of like my identities together yeah finding maybe talking to her about finding a way that her two identities can come together if she wants them to. Yeah. As a young woman, I think when you talk to Stella later, you guys can all, you should bring it up to her because she is a woman with disabilities and might have right. a lot more to say. But at, at 13, getting them to acknowledge that they are disabled and that it's okay. Yeah. Because at 13, you're taught to be cool. Yeah, and all you, you want to do is fit in. and Yeah, so finding a way to fit her disability into her world, I think it would be really cool. Um and if she wants, I mean, I talk about sex, but if she needs somebody to talk to, I can dumb down myself. I don't have to be super explicit. I can just say, like, <laughs> do you want to talk about it? I'd be happy to, because I think those voices, too, the young voices of children with disabilities, yes. explore, exploring that part of stuff is absent from the narrative. Yes. So we need to invite them in. I'd love to hear what her experiences as a young girl have been trying to be disabled in a tween like I don't remember that I remember it was tough <laughs> I'd love to hear about it now so um, my advice is to just be yourself and just try to start very slowly owning her disability yeah. and owning that part of herself and then the rest will follow how, I mean my question to you Erin would be yeah. how, how does she from what you know of her and from what you know of how she handles her disability is she, like, does she talk about it? Is it part of her? I know, like, she doesn't like to use her walker. Um, I so, didn't like it either. PT yeah. was the shit. I hated it. No, yeah. PT sucks. <laughs> I that's so much a disability thing. That's just PT fucking sucks. And, no, I get it. I get that part. But, you know, uh, she, um, last time she kind of visited us um, at my parents' house, which is in the lovely Grand Bend in, in the summer, she bought a bikini for the first time, yep. and she put it on, and she she loves, um, she likes, uh, what's that show with Tyra Banks, modeling show, or American, top American. model, 
Yeah. yeah. Um, she watched Top Model a lot, and she loves to have her picture taken and, like... Oh, my God, she's just like me. Yeah. <laughs> so she, like, got in her little cute swimsuit and was, like, take pictures of me and was, like, feeling her fantasy, like... And it was the greatest. Like, I love that. You know, that, well, that's good. Then maybe you can easily say to her, like, do you want to take some pictures that show your wheelchair? Does she have pictures of her that... Right. That, something that accentuates the two identities, if she wants. For me, I forced that identity onto myself so that I can become a part of who I am. Um, and maybe that's what she needs. My advice would just to start talking to her about how those identities are going to fit and how right now being 12 everything is like cool but in, you know when she hits 16, 17 yeah. and sex becomes a real reality yeah. people are going to start going you're going to say well I can't do that with you right like so maybe getting her ready for like the the silent prejudices people have around disability and just, just like slowly nudging her into let's love your body so that when you're yeah. ready when that happens to you and some guy says something stupid yeah. you're 17 and want to go on a date and he says, oh, no, you're too, I can't. You're ready and you have, like, an understanding of what that's going to feel like so you're not crushed. Because the first time a guy said, said no to me like that, I knew it was a possibility, but I was crushed because I was like, well, what do I do? I'm just sitting in my chair. I just want to go out with you. Like, what do you mean? No. I was crushed. Yes. I think, she, I, I think to give her, to help her understand that people are going to say stupid things they don't know any better but at least now you know what you're in for I think that's great advice Andrew and I will ask Stella on the next episode of the Bedpost podcast when I talk to her is there awesome. is there anything else you want to talk about Andrew before we go no I'm pretty good I'm happy if you guys want to reach out to me um, Deliciously Drew is my Twitter I have a podcast that's on iTunes yep. Deliciously Disabled the podcast that finally puts Sex and Disability in Bed Together. Yeah! Yes, um, they do. <laughs> go to deliciouslydisabled.org to look at what we're doing. I have just released a press release for my own talks because I want to bring my How to Be a Deliciously Disabled Queer Cripple talk all over. So wherever you're listening from, if you want to hire me to do a talk, I'd love to hear from you. Amazing! Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me, Andrew. It's been such a pleasure. It was so fun. It was so fun. And you're laughing. I was just giggling for five minutes. Please, please keep that in. Don't cut that. Because it was so great. I will. All right. And I'm going to sign out here. I'm Aaron Pym, and this has been the Bed Post Podcast, and we've been here with Mr. Andrew Gerza. To find out more about the Bed Post stage show, go to facebook.com slash bedposterotica. My personal blog with over 100 erotic short stories is at erinserotica.com. And lastly, the Bed Post podcast features original music by Stephanie Copeland, who can be reached at her website, stephcopelandmusic.com.